The Minds of Meaning Podcast. The Minds of Meaning Podcast. A podcast where we grow together in understanding the unique ways that God has created us. Here's our host, Austin Anderson. Welcome to the Minds of Meaning Podcast, which helps us understand the unique ways that God has created us. My name is Austin Anderson. Hard to believe this is episode 11 already. Thank you so much for your support. I'm considering this the start of season two. I'm glad to report that we will continue to record in the darkroom studios on the campus of Judson University, which has shaped lives that have shaped the world for over 60 years. Today, we interview my good friend, Frank Tokars. Frank and I met about five years ago, and we instantly hit it off with our desires to think deeply about our faith, our ability to connect with others, and our desire to love what we do. I was honored to be asked to stand in Frank's wedding several years ago, and I look forward to continuing to build our friendship in the years to come. Our conversation focuses on evangelism, which is an important pillar of our Christian faith, the ability to be able to talk with others about loving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We started off our conversation by having Frank discuss his unique path to the faith. You have such a powerful testimony. You wouldn't mind sharing how that came to be finding the Lord in college. Yeah, absolutely. So I was raised Catholic. And I'll just say that my experience with the Catholic Church wasn't the best, but it also wasn't the worst. My family attended church pretty regularly, but the only spiritual discipline that we practiced outside of going to church was like saying a memorized prayer before meals and before bed. So you could probably imagine as a kid, right? I liked how relaxed things were most of the time. My mindset was basically only think about God when I need him or I'm doing something like praying or going to church and just try to be the best person I can. So that in the end, I could say that I was a good person and I could get into heaven. I thought that's pretty much what it meant to be a Christian. And there were really only a handful of days that I could remember where it was even mentioned to me that Jesus is the son of God and he gave himself up to be nailed to a cross. Looking back now, I see that I was given part of the picture. And some might even say I had most of the picture, but it wasn't really until college that I discovered the full story of who I really was in God's eyes and what he truly asks from me. What happened was I started drifting further and further away from God. As first, my family stopped attending Mass regularly. Then my father passes away with cancer, sadly. And all of this was happening while I'm transitioning out of this safe bird's nest that I grew up in and into the college scene where as like all the worldly carnal pleasures become readily available. And honestly, yeah, to my own disgrace, I was finding myself stepping deeper and deeper into worse and worse things until one day I found myself at a sort of crossroads in my life. So you can picture this. It was 7 a.m. in my intro to analog circuits class, freshman year of college. And my lab partner and my partner in crime says to me, Frank, I know that we're both calling ourselves Christians here, but I've been feeling pretty guilty about the ways that we've been acting at these parties. And I'm deciding to take my RA up on his offer to go to his Bible study. And yeah, I'd like you to come with. What do you think? This was such a foreign concept to me. I was intrigued. He kept asking me, 
and I leaned in. And that year, God used four college boys in a dorm room to reveal God's love and God's wrath to me as we went through basic readings of the scriptures. And I was taught all about how salvation is accomplished solely through faith in Jesus and not by being a good person. Within only a few weeks, I was hit hard with the realization that I thought I was saved. I thought I was a saved Christian this whole time. But if I'm honest, Jesus was not the Lord of my life. I'm not on a pursuit of following his directions alone. And I don't have any reason to withhold that status from him any longer at this point, besides maybe my purely selfish desires. So I decided to surrender my life to Jesus as the one that I'm going to follow until I die. And man, all of a sudden that summer, it was like my heart flipped upside down and I had the ability and the willpower to just cut sin patterns out of my life, left and right, and just replace them with good godly habits. So that's how it happened. And praise be to God for never giving up on me, right? Amen to that. The fact that he loves us, even with our past troubles and transgressions and sins and just even denial of him, right? You look at the apostle Paul, who was Saul, right? And he comes to God and fully repentant and God blesses him through a really masterful life and ministry. So obviously you had this big experience in your life and you just really turn your life on a 180 in many regards. So how did that whole encounter lead you to becoming passionate about evangelism? After what happened to me, I cannot look at a non-Christian the same way anymore. I can't see them without seeing my old self and thinking about where I would be if my old lab partner never tried sharing his faith with me. So that's definitely one thing that motivates me. But another one would be that those college guys, they never stopped discipling me. But rather, they challenged me every week to ask as many questions as I could. And they provided me with high quality resources and a church to teach me all about Christianity. And as an engineer and passionate learner, I just soaked it all in and I continue to do so every day. With Christianity, it's interesting. One thing I've found is that the more work you put into understanding it, the more confident you become that it's true and the more passionate you typically end up being. And on top of that, your concept of God just becomes so much larger, that much more interesting and beautiful and motivating as well. And so you get this snowball effect with it that only gets bigger and grows more momentum over time. And then with evangelism, of course, it's always okay to tell someone that you don't know an answer to something and then look into it and get back to them later. But isn't it always going to be more motivating for Christians if they learn the best arguments early on and no longer have to be so afraid of being caught off guard by a non-Christian's con arguments? And I definitely think so. So I always recommend and I like to hand out books like C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity or Frank Turek's I Don't Have Enough faith to be an atheist, which I think provides a solid foundation and definitely helped me for making a case for Christianity from the ground up. Just to get to the crux of evangelism, a lot of people have different thoughts about what it is, how to go about it. In Frank Tokars's mind, how would you define the concept of evangelism? 
<laughs> yeah, Frank Tokars would, I would define evangelism as making an effort to bring a non-Christian closer to God and salvation. It's part of the Great Commission of Jesus in Matthew 28 to go make disciples of all the nations. And I think this can take a large variety of forms. It's not really realistic to say evangelism is just trying to bring people to place their faith in Jesus over the course of one conversation with an evangelist. Rather, nine times out of 10, people come to Christ because of a large number of different Christians. And to use the farming analogy, most of these Christians have invested in planting seeds and doing the work of gardening, helping the non-Christian step by step closer to God and salvation, rather than attempting to harvest every single person, regardless of if they're ready for it or not. So I like to open people's minds just to the scope of opportunities that there are to be obedient to the Great Commission. And this even includes things like loving acts, right? We're offering to mow a neighbor's lawn or just spending time hanging out to build trust, hopefully with the intention of using that trust and credibility later to go deeper into conversation. You talked a little bit earlier about some of the different resources that you've used to help build your foundation in your faith. Who are some of your favorite theologians that you've listened to, processed with, that have kind of helped you build your doctrine and your faith in God? First off, I would say C.S. Lewis and Frank Turek opened my eyes to the world of apologetics that I just dove straight into and loved. And then also pastors like John Piper and Timothy Keller introduced me to theology and deep Bible study. And then later it was people like William Lane Craig and Mike Winger that really helped me carve around the edges, if you will, and clear up some of the remaining questions I was having in order to reach like a solid foundation for a lot of my current positions in both apologetics and theology. Their work in addressing the concept of God's sovereignty and omniscience alongside man's free will to be particularly helpful from both a, a biblical and philosophical perspective. You've done so many different types of evangelism over the years. I guess you can quantify them into two separate categories, if you will. What I have called first encounter evangelism and then relational evangelism. Starting off with the first encounter evangelism, take me through what that experience is like for you. Yeah, sure. I would say that I've been involved in some of the more personal forms of first encounter evangelism, where I'm usually with one or two other Christians, and we are holding a free prayer sign outside of a busy bar in downtown Chicago, for example, or we're asking people if they would be willing to take a spiritual survey, or maybe I'll just strike up a casual conversation with people I come across in public spaces who seem to particularly be like bored at the time or available to talk. And I'll look for opportunities to transition the conversation to spiritual or philosophical topics from there. And yeah, one more thing. Thing, most people have never seen this done before from start to finish, this first encounter evangelism. And so they probably imagine it being very difficult to get the stranger to actually trust you enough to open up. But I have found that many of my friends and myself can very quickly establish trust with a stranger 
by simply asking them questions, by listening well, and admiring them where we can. So yeah, just being genuine goes a long way. And nine times out of 10, that trust improves the impact made when we bring our own opinions and our own arguments into the conversation later. Yeah. And I think the one thing too, just from doing some of this myself, but also more often seeing you and some others go through that process is that I think sometimes people will pressure themselves to try to finish the job, if you will, in the first attempt. But I think when you talk about people and the ability to connect with one another, it takes time for someone to make a life altering decision. Yes, it's going to take time. Paul on the road to Damascus saw the light. But for most people, it's going to take a little bit of time to process and think through that regard as well. Yeah, have realistic expectations. For sure. Moving along here, the other main kind of category that evangelism usually gets more into is relational evangelism. And with that, obviously, a much different experience than first encounter evangelism in some regards. But how would you compare and contrast the two experiences and maybe some instances of how relational evangelism has gone for you? Yeah, this is an exciting question for me. I do want to say up front that I am far from being an expert evangelist. Ultimately, I am just a beggar trying to show other beggars where the food's at. I have failed and I still fail at times, but I'm passionate about getting the body of Christ moving. I want to offer them as many opportunities to move as possible. And I want to equip them to make the most impact with their life while they still can. And so that being said up front, the big difference between first encounter and relational evangelism is whether you'd consider the other person a stranger and, of course, how much time you're expecting to spend with that person moving forward. Having 15 minutes with a person will look a lot different in terms of your strategy than someone you probably have around 15 years with. Sure, it's true that people can pass away unexpectedly. So always a baseline urgency to their salvation. But I just think that it's wise to recognize the context of your relationship and factor that in when you're trying to make the most of your influence on them for God, right? And then with first encounter evangelism, you'll have less information to go off of. So you'll need to collect information and respond in the moment as it comes. When you're evangelizing in the context of relationships, though, you have more time and more information. That's why preparing things like questions and a gospel presentation in advance may be extra helpful. And you might be thinking at this point, man, why would anyone want to do first encounter evangelism? And the first thing I'd say is that lots of non-Christians don't have the blessing of having a, a Christian invested in an evangelistic friendship with them, or maybe they're flat out resistant to the idea of having a Christian friend. So maybe you talking with them for five minutes puts a stone in their shoe about a blind spot that they have never considered until that point, and it builds their curiosity. Or the way they think about Christians is changed. So remember, the goal isn't necessarily conversion in one conversation, like Austin brought up. 
but to bring them one step closer to God in any way that you can. So other reasons to try first encounter evangelism would be that it's less risky. In a sense, it's less risky than relational evangelism because you're less likely to see that person again, right? So that is going to lower the impact on you if you get rejected by them. That's a little bit more practical, but also it's a great way to still evangelize if you're stuck in a situation where, let's say you're in a Christian bubble and you can't seem to make any non-Christian friends, I would consider trying first encounter evangelism and seeing how that works. Also, if you find yourself wanting more confidence and experience with evangelism in general, before you attempt to evangelize those who you're more afraid to be rejected by, aka your family and friends, right? First encounter evangelism will give you that experience because you're typically asking the same types of questions and gaining experience with the types of responses that people can give. I've definitely experienced that crossover between the two to be very helpful for me. Ultimately, as with anything else, the more you evangelize, the better and more confident you become at it overall. Yes, practice, I wouldn't say makes perfect in this situation, but practice certainly <laughs> helps you. So one way that you've helped this idea of making it more smooth for people in terms of learning how to evangelize is by doing your own outreach training group at your home church, Christ Community Church in Streamwood. What has that experience been like in terms of just being able to share that to others and how have people reacted yeah, I appreciate you asking. This event that I'm hosting is like a mixture of Toastmakers and Sunday School <laughs> because we allocate enough time and really encourage everyone to practice responding themselves to the claims and questions that we have each week. And each week focuses on a particular topic or a question. And then that all happens before hearing what I have to say as the teacher or the facilitator. And this has proven to be a really fun and productive way to sharpen our knowledge, our social skills, and increase our motivation in these things. So for example, this past week, we spent an hour and a half discussing how to properly interpret the passages where God commands or even enacts violence in the Old and the New Testament, which can be a heavy topic. And we practiced presenting them to a non-Christian to show that the Christian God is still a loving God in the midst of his methods of judging and punishing sin. It's been heavy at times, but I feel like God is continuing to teach me in all of this, just how to equip the body of Christ and evangelize evangelism to the Christians that I know. And so, yeah, it's been fruitful and it's very exciting for me personally. In your support group of evangelism and all these efforts in general, I would say your number one fan is your wife, Ariana. How has she supported you in the midst of being able to express your love and joy of evangelism to others? Yeah, thank you so much for asking that. Ariana just loves to tell me how proud she is to be my wife when she sees me confidently proclaiming and training people up in truth. And what more could a Christian man ask for, right? Another great help that she gives is helping me clarify my points or or letting me practice communicating the ideas to her for feedback. And she's great, man. I'm always learning from her gift of hospitality. And I'm just incredibly blessed to have such a God-fearing wife. Now switching topics completely within the realm of evangelism. Does doctrine matter when it comes to evangelism? And if so, how does that play out maybe consciously in your mind as you process the topic? 
I would say that what really impacts your evangelism can be broken down into three categories. Your knowledge of the truth, which is your doctrine. Second, your social skills, which is your ability to read and respond to things like tone and body language in order to connect with people both emotionally and intellectually. And then you've got your zeal which is your passion, your desire, and your drive to let yourself become uncomfortable for the sake of helping others. So when it comes to doctrine, I would say that every Christian should have at a minimum a clear and prepared explanation of the gospel ready to share at any moment. If your listeners want to see a quick example of what I base my gospel presentation off of, you can just Google li6w.com, which stands for for life in six words and just look for a gospel button and you can click on that. The six words to memorize in the foundation of this presentation are an acronym for gospel. So you've got G-O-S-P-E-L. It stands for God, our sins, paying everyone life. And each of those words draws out to a sentence that you'll see. And it stands for God loves you and created you for relationship with him. Then you say our sins separate us from God. You got the S. Sins cannot be removed by our good deeds and works. P, paying the price for sins. Jesus died and rose again. Then E, everyone who repents and places their trust in Jesus alone as their savior has eternal life. And then L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. As long as these points can be communicated and not denied in in one way or another, I would say that you're good to go and get out there and evangelize. Also, just pro tip that my pastor gave me was to combine the gospel with your testimony for an easy way to get people to listen to what you've discovered to be true. When it's in a testimony format, people are willing to hear your story. And it's a little bit more exciting. Absolutely. Making it your own, making it personal, right? That's always something that can be really helpful. All right. So a couple of questions now I want to transition into here that I think can be relatable to a lot of our audience. What about today's society, in your opinion, compared to maybe stuff that you've understood from past generations, makes it difficult to evangelize to other people? Oh, boy. There is a lot. Uh, As our society becomes less and less Christian. Two of the more common perspectives that I think I want to share here are things that I see a lot of, which are relativism, where what's true for you may not be true for me. And then the second one is apathyism, where people just don't care to engage in the conversation about God. If they're a relativist who implies there's no such thing as truth, you want to ask them, is that true? And that's usually a good place to start there. And with apatheists, you've got one of the hardest issues to deal with. And we covered this topic in our outreach training. And we basically concluded that one of the best ways to handle this is to recognize that all people are looking for fullness, looking for happiness and joy. And what they find in creation, aka the relationships, their activities, themselves, those things are not powerful or permanent enough to sustain them through the tragedies and the low valleys in life. Instead of starting with God with these people when we're evangelizing, you start with what they will want to talk about, which is themselves and what does bring them joy. And then you eventually present Christianity as desirable, preferably adding in your own testimony of joy into the mix and then focus less on presenting Christianity as logical until they become more curious or interested about it, holding off on the apologetics or the facts at first. 
the tactic we've come to with that. For sure. And now to flip the question on its head, what would you say about today's society and or technology, et cetera, uh, that makes it easier to evangelize now than maybe in past generations? That's a really tough one. I think a lot of people have gotten over some of the technology or gotten sick of it a little bit and reached a point of maybe boredom or dissatisfaction with the defensive culture that we have. This culture we live in where everyone is afraid of conflict and religion is seen as taboo. So to me, in a surprising way, especially with younger people, I feel like a lot of them seem eager these days to jump in and jump at an opportunity of having having a conversation with somebody about the deeper things in life. That's really fascinating because, yeah, I think you're right. Even I had this thought last night. I was just going through the Internet a little bit. I see the conflict. I see the battles. There's more refreshing things in life. I think people are seeking that. You're absolutely right. What would be some tips for someone brand new to the idea of evangelism or doesn't have much practice? Someone potentially going up and starting either a relational or first encounter evangelism experience. And then how do you overcome the potential risks that are involved with such actions? Yeah, so the first thing that I should mention here is that I like to pray, uh, even if it's a short prayer out of my breath before and after I have an evangelistic interaction with someone. This helps to humble and prepare my mind and soul to serve them lovingly and open-handedly alongside God. And then starting with the first encounter evangelism, I've, I've seen a handful of different approaches work. So as long as you're trying to be gentle and respectful and also intending to share the, the truth about both God's love and His wrath, I'm not going to be that Christian who interrupts you and, and tries to change your evangelism method. I think it becomes unproductive when evangelists want to only mention God's judgment of sinners or only mention God's love over their life without giving the full picture of the grace and the truth of God together. So we don't want to do that. I will say that one of the most impactful first encounter approaches that I've experienced is the approach of going out and finding people who seem to have some time to chat briefly and asking them if they'd be willing to take a spiritual survey. The reason why this works well is because it sets up an expectation with them upfront that you're going to ask them a handful of spiritual questions, but you're going to have a limit to it. So they won't have to worry about it taking too long. Now, some advice that I would give to make this go as smoothly as possible is to be both direct and relational at the same time. People who work in sales and management will easily understand what I'm saying here. You want to be direct with who you are and what you want from them, and then be relational with your tone and your language. And for example, I might find someone who's maybe lounging around on their phone and I want to say something like, excuse me, sorry to interrupt you. My friend and I are walking around. We're curious to see if people would be willing to take a survey that we're giving. It's short. It's only eight or so questions. We are Christians, so this is a spiritual survey. But just so you know, we're not here to force anyone to change their mind or something like that. Honestly, we're just curious to learn about people's beliefs and experiences because we think that those are important topics to discuss. What do you say? The first question is, do you believe a God? exists. And man, we have seen a lot of success with that approach. People appreciate clarity up front when they're being offered something like a survey or a conversation. On top of that, we might let them know, hey, like if at any time this gets awkward or you need to leave, 
just let us know and we'll get lost. No worries at all. And that kind of diffuses some of the tension, if you will, up front. And with the survey questions, they can be custom to whatever you like to ask, but you generally want to ask them if they believe in God. And if they do, you start asking about their religion and their thoughts about salvation and the afterlife. If they don't believe in God or say that they don't know, it can be helpful in those situations to ask them about what their experience with Christians has been and be willing to admit that there's been a lot of hypocrisy over time with Christianity that can help you. And maybe you ask them where they find joy and purpose in life. And you can either move that conversation over towards their reasonings for doubting God's existence or towards how they would think about the afterlife if God did exist. And that's just to give a couple examples. As for relational evangelism, or actually evangelism in general, there are so many possible scenarios, right? I'll just share some factors that are helpful to consider. And these are things like who all can hear your conversation? Very practical. Is this something where you're at a party and everybody's listening in? You might want to be aware of that. The second thing is, do you know through body language, through tone, through past experience, how comfortable and open they are to talking specifically with you? Take that into consideration. Also, for how long have you been talking with them that day? Also, what seem to be their greatest needs? Be aware of that. What do they currently believe about God? And how interested are they in talking about God? So the answers to all of these questions should help us use our instincts to meet people where they're at in their spiritual journey towards salvation. So we don't want to rush ahead of them and be too fast, but we also don't want to hold them back from moving forward when they're ready for a next step. And so some general tips that you can keep in your back pocket specifically are, first, you want to have gentleness and respect for the other person as a valuable human being, even if they're not part of your group, your religion, as Jesus says, they're your enemy, maybe. The second thing is ask and listen before sharing and encouraging. And then the third bit of advice would be listen for some specific things, not only their beliefs, but also listen for their motives, their desires, their cares, and their tensions. And if you can collect all of that, you'll be in much better position to influence them, to relate, to establish trust, etc. And then finally, drop in Jesus's name and little gospel truths in everyday conversations. You could say something like, man, there's a lot wrong in the world, huh? There's a lot that's going wrong here <laughs> and talk about it. Or you could say, what motivates me every day is Jesus. And knowing that one day everything wrong will be made right. Or you could, for example, say, wow, look how beautiful it is out here. Where do you think all this came from? And then, of course, you want to check yourself for hypocrisy before encouraging someone to make any kind of change in their life. And communicating humility is always going to be an effective way to establish that trust and put yourself in their shoes, if you will. So if you don't mind, Austin, I'd like to just share maybe one example, one story yeah. about evangelism that puts all of this together and is something that happened between me and a guy we'll call Alec. And so let me just share this story. I met Alec during a vacation in Washington, D.C., when a friend of a friend invited him to come on a tour boat that we were taking through a river. And so we're all together and we had that whole night to get to connect with each other. I found out that he was reading about philosophy and I bridged that easily into spirituality. And 
he seemed to have some experience. He had a few church visits in the past, but he was always curious and open to learning more about Christianity. This is a great opportunity. I kept stepping in and diving deeper and deeper. So he ended up saying yes to come to church with us the next day, still in Washington, D.C. And over the next few conversations about Christianity, it was clear that he had a couple big intellectual obstacles to Christianity that he wanted to know more about. And after asking him if he wanted Christianity to be true, he admitted that, and I think he was honest, that he hopes it's true. And he would follow it if he had that confidence to be true. So I knew at that point that his next step was to start seeking and learning about God. So I did my best to provide him with satisfying answers or resources to his initial questions. I showed him how to build his life on Jesus' words. And he even said yes to reading through the entire Gospel of Mark before eventually coming to a place in his life where he was convinced that he needed to surrender his life over to Jesus as the one that he's going to follow. And it was very similar to my experience, and it was beautiful. And this past summer, my wife and I had the privilege of seeing his baptism and celebrating new life. And Austin, I just want to tell you and the listeners that I share this not to brag about spiritual wins, right? But hopefully I can provide hope that conversion is possible. And it does still happen today. For those of you who seem doubtful, seem discouraged. And it's very important that while it does feel great to see the fruit of your evangelism every once in a while, the Christian life is more about daily obedience and finding our fulfillment in God rather than finding our fulfillment in another person's salvation. Just wanted to share that and hopefully that's a little inspiring. Thanks for that opportunity. Oh, absolutely. That's an awesome story and praise God. It's one of many stories, not just from you, but other people that we know and just even people that we don't know, brothers and sisters in Christ, where just sharing the truth can lead to life altering changes. What would you say is the best way to reach out to you uh, if someone has the interest in evangelism? wanting to learn more about it. I would point them to my ministry email that I created. It's franktokars316 at gmail.com. And that's spelled frank, T-O-K-A-R-Z, 316 at gmail.com. And yeah, I'd be happy to talk with anybody or discuss further. And then last but not least, what are some final thoughts? Yeah, I just want to thank you, Austin, for having me on and great work with the podcast. And for all you Christians listening to this, go out there and give them heaven. And may God bless all of your efforts to do so. A big thank you to Frank for joining us today on the Minds of Meaning podcast. He brings such a humble mindset to sharing God's love with other people. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As always, be sure to find us on our website at mindsofmeaning.com and be sure to head over to our social media sites at Minds of Meaning. You can find us on YouTube as well by searching Minds of Meaning. That'll do it for episode 11. I look forward to continuing our adventure in the weeks to come. So long for now. Thank you for listening to the Minds of Meaning podcast. To learn more about Minds of Meaning, visit mindsofmeaning.com or Minds of Meaning on the mainstream social media platforms. God bless. 